Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read all those books that look really good on your shelf. Some days better than others. <laughs> Welcome back to our uh, third episode. Yeah, third episode. Of right. Campfire Classics. Amazing. And the, you, your mustache is gone. My mustache is gone. It um, it was a temporary act of contrition. I feel like I did what I had to do, and now that's over. Yeah, yeah. You had to appease the uh, mustache gods. I had to appease the mustache gods. Um, this is still, for the record, a mustache and tombs fan cast but <laughs> i had to remove my own mustache because it was creeping me out it it was <laughs> it was really upsetting it was weird it was really upsetting looking and again you can see the video if you become a patreon for five dollars a month do it ah, do it it'll be cool It'd be really cool of you to do that. It'd be so cool. It'd be really cool of you to do that, man. We would really love you. I mean, we already do. I love you anyway. And now he has whiskey, so even better. So I love you even more. And I have wine. So this one's going to be great. This one will be interesting. This uh, this this third um, foray into greatness um, will, I think, be our best to date. Oh, Yeah. I have no idea. I mean... You you tell me. What am I reading today? I think it's going to be pretty awesome, actually. All right. So what do we got? What are we doing? So I'm going to have you read H.G. Wells. Okay. The Star. Okay. The Star. So I know you wrote a short play. I did. I'm very about familiar. About H.G. Wells. So I know I, you like H.G. Wells. I'm, do you, have you read The Star? I have not read The Star. Okay, I good. don't know The Star. Um, I I did, though, I adapted one of his other short stories, The the Tale of the Inexperienced Ghost. Which is delightful. Uh, into a uh, into a two-person play. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that I got to perform in Minnesota, but that also was performed... Uh, actually, its first performance yeah. was um, in, Philly, right? in in Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, at a, a, a theater festival, little little short play festival there. Awesome. Um, yeah, I knew you liked him. Yeah, so, yeah. But like, I think what we should add to these. So we're talking about reading these books that are pretty on our bookshelves. Yes. When we attempt to read them, which is great. Which is it's fantastic. A valiant effort. But. Um, I think we should also give a little background on these people because, um, yes, their stuff is in public domain and therefore they have most likely passed on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to give a few fun facts because I love me some fun facts um, about the authors. So we're going to hit more Di- more Dickens and Agatha Christie. And so from our last two episodes, no worries. Great. We'll get there. This is just something we thought we'd add to the beginning. It's just like a Great. few fun facts about H.G. Wells. I like it. Haha, ha, suckers. You didn't know that you were going to be... Um, 
educated. Educated. You are going to get some book learning with You're your getting some book learning with your book podcast. Yeah. So his name is <laughs> Herbert George Wells. Okay. H. G. Wells was his pen name. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, there you go. He was born September 21st, 1866, and died August 13th, 1946. Okay. So, he was most known for his science fiction, and he is often called the father of science fiction. I knew there was a reason I like this guy. Like, that's pretty awesome. So, some of his famous books, like, this is a short story, but, like, some books that you might know, or The Time Machine, mm-hmm. The Island of Dr. Moreau, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> um, The Invisible Man, The War of the Worlds. Yeah, I think this is all coming back to us. So, um, yeah, he uh, won also four Nobel Prizes in literature. Really? Four. He was nominated for four. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. He's like turning right now. He's like, that one hurts. That, that hurts, hurt. lady. That one hurt. So in Wells case, was in... nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature four times. So in case you couldn't tell, um, not only are we cold reading the books, we are also cold reading our author cold, information cold reading from facts. Wikipedia. Wikipedia and other sources. Now, this is my favorite fact about him. Okay. That I actually... Oh, my God. Did that whiskey just try and bite you in the face? I think my ice cube just popped. Woo! Um, it's getting hot in here. So take off all your clothes. He's naked already. Um, so... I worked as a stripper for a while. I'm really good at taking my clothes off fast. I worked in burlesque for a while. Okay, yeah. I was like, <laughs> whoa, whoa. We have not had this conversation. <laughs> this podcast just got weird. So my favorite H.G. Wells fact is Churchill, like Winston Churchill, was mm-hmm. an avid fan of his. And October 1906, Churchill's speech was inspired by Wells and his idea of utopia. Two days earlier, Churchill had written a like personal letter to H.G. Wells and said, I owe you a great debt. Huh. And they stayed in touch until Wells died. So they were they were buddies. Cool. And I like he was that. an active socialist. <laughs> well, science fiction has yeah. a a long and glorious tradition of being a um uh a a liberal progressive yeah. sort of um medium yeah. for telling stories. Uh it's always been it's always been very political. Yeah. It's um uh, I mean, they're, it's, they're it's basically of, telling stories through science fiction that they can't tell in the modern day because then it'd be controversial. Yeah, no, it's it's a way of it's a way of addressing a contemporary issue, but setting it um, uh, as Star Wars did a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. You either set it way in the past, way in the future, or, or way far away, or both or way three. in the past and way in the future. Well, I mean, Back to the Future. <laughs> They definitely go both ways. They do. They do go both ways. Yes, you. You are right. Back to the Future goes both ways. <laughs> I knew I liked those movies. Although now the entirety of Back to the Future takes place in the past. That is true. Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> okay. On that note, I'm gonna need you to start reading because now I All just right. got depressed. Now you just got sad. I'm old. All right. I'm not old. Let's but start this fire. All right. H.G. Wells. The Star. Start the fire. The Star by H.G. Wells. 
It was on the first day of the new year that the announcement was made almost simultaneously from three observatories that the motion of the planet Neptune, the outermost of all the planets that wheel about the sun, had become very erratic. Oh, they like just went like Pluto, fuck off. <laughs> well, no, no. So sometimes Neptune actually orbits outside yes, Pluto. Yes, but and like in our in our lifetime. Pluto has been said, like, been, like, taken away from the planets and put back in the planets, like, 12 times. Now, don't get me wrong. Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you're listening. Yeah. And I know you are. You should be. I love you. You're our best friend. You are amazing. You are a rock star. Fuck you. You (laughs) killed Pluto. You son of a bitch. Oh, my God. I have anger issues about that. Pluto was my favorite planet when I was a kid. So little. So, so little and, and just so way out there. He was so far away and he was just so lonely. And like, then they're like, you're not even part of the club. And I'm like, that's just rude. Pluto, 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 if you're listening, and I know you are. Many, 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 many millions of years from now. Yeah, you're probably, you're, you're on a little bit of a delay. Um, and I know you're listening. Uh, I still think of you as a planet. I adore you. You still mean a lot to me. You hold my heart. Anyway. So anyway, Neptune. Also, to be fair, as I'm looking at the the top of this page, this story was written in 1897. Um, If I bet Google could tell you if Pluto had even been discovered yet by 1897. Oh my gosh, that's true. It it might not have been a planet yet. When was Pluto discovered? 1930. Boom. Oh. Ha. Wow. Neptune was the outermost planet because we didn't even know Pluto existed yet. Oh, sweet baby Pluto was still so far away. It was February 18th, 1930, Pluto was discovered. So All there right. we go. So, so back, there we go. Back to Neptune. So, um, first day of the new year, a bunch of three observatories almost simultaneously are like, yo, Neptune's acting weird. Ogilvy had already called attention to a suspected retardation in its velocity in December. Such a piece of news was scarcely calculated to interest a world the greater portion of whose inhabitants were unaware of the existence of the planet Neptune, nor outside the astronomical profession did the subsequent discovery of a faint remote speck of light in the region of the perturbed planet cause any very great excitement. Scientific people, however, found the intelligence remarkable enough, even before it became known, that the new body was rapidly growing larger and brighter, that its motion was quite different from the orderly progress of the planets, and that the deflection of Neptune and its satellite was becoming now of an unprecedented kind. Wait, so he's basically, like, Talking about how scientists were noticing that, like, Neptune wrote, like, changes positions. Well, I think what he's saying is, um, Neptune was the, it's, it, Neptune started, so what it sounds like to me, Neptune is going around the sun with the rest of us. Yeah. And it's starting to slow down, and right around the same place as Neptune, they're seeing something else. It's Pluto! That is, that is, um... Coming at Coming them. towards Earth. So Pluto. Because they switch, right? Well, <laughs> except like they, they don't switch like that. This That'd is like fun. This is like, we're it's talking like... like a spaceship. Or, or like the comet. dinosaur asteroid. 
Oh shit, yeah, read on. Few people without a training in science can realize the huge isolation of the solar system. The sun, with its specks of planets, its dust of planetoids, and its impalpable comets, swims in a vacant immensity that almost defeats the imagination. Beyond the orbit of Neptune, there is space, vacant so far as human observation has penetrated without warmth or light or sound, blank emptiness for 20 million times a million miles. You know what's amazing about that is that is true, and this was written uh, 130, almost 20, years ago. 123 years ago. And the only planet that we have discovered since then that is like in our galaxy is Pluto. It's Pluto. So we've, we've gotten one more, and then all the rest is that's about all we know. That's like, it. Still, like, <laughs> it's just like millions of years and like this was before we had modern science so yes technology has moved fast but damn we're falling behind up there wow that's amazing that's cool that's so issue well smart dude yeah this is so cool um million million miles that is the smallest estimate of... Di okay, so uh, 20 million times a million miles. Mm -hmm. That is the smallest estimate of the distance to be traversed before the very nearest of the stars is attained. And saving a few comets more unsubstantial than the thinnest flame, no matter had ever to human knowledge crossed this gulf of space until early in the 20th century this strange wanderer appeared. A vast mass of matter it was, bulky, heavy, rushing without warning out of the black mystery of the sky into the radiance of the sun. By the second day, it was clearly visible to any decent instrument as a speck with a barely sensible diameter in the constellation Leo near Regulus. In a little while, an opera glass could attain it. Holy shit, it's moving fast. It's moving fast. I think it's the doctor. <laughs> Here he comes. Oh, finally. This is this is the arrival of the Time this Lords the on Earth. of the Time Lords. Thank God. We finally find out. Thank you, H.G. Wells. I have been waiting. <laughs> From... I have been waiting. I hope it's David Tennant. Doctor, <laughs> if you're listening. David Tennant, specifically. And I know you are. Come take us all away from here. Oh my god, let me into your blue TARDIS and it's been take rough. me away. <laughs> it's been real rough, man. We could all use a little space adventure. I want to go on a space adventure. On the third day of the new year, the newspaper readers of two hemispheres were made aware for the first time of the real importance of this unusual apparition in the heavens. A planetary collision, one London paper headed the news, and proclaimed Duchesne's opinion that this strange new planet would probably collide with Neptune. The leader writers enlarged upon the topic, so that in most of the capitals of the world, on January 3rd, there was an expectation, however vague, of some imminent phenomenon in the sky. And as the night followed the sunset round the globe, thousands of men turned their eyes skyward to see, 
old familiar stars just as they had always been. <laughs> you just made it rhyme. <laughs> I had to. Seen and been. S- I, ha- I mean, he was British. He was so he British. probably meant it to kind of rhyme. <laughs> yeah, but also when you get, like, it's... It's very you poetic. Lot, you have to. It's very poetic. It's so pretty. Holy crap, this is good writing. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. All right, Mr. All right. Wells. Where were we? Until it was dawn in London and Pollock's setting and the stars overhead grown pale. The winter's dawn it was, a sickly filtering accumulation of daylight, and the light of gas and candles shone yellow in the windows to show where people were astir. But the yawning policemen saw the thing. The busy crowds in the markets stopped agape, workmen going to their work betimes, milkmen, the drivers of news carts, dissipation, going home jaded and pale, homeless wanderers, sentinels on their beats, and in the country, laborers trudging afield, poachers slinking home, all over the dusky, quickening country it could be seen, and out at sea by seamen watching for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, it was going so well. And then there was a 12-year-old moment. You said (laughs) seamen. Uh, I worked on the ship for seven months, and it's still funny. You were a seaman for seven months. <laughs> I was a seaman for seven months! I suppose, strictly speaking, we were all seaman for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> but a ching. It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> and if you weren't, you're a space alien. <laughs> this is true. Space aliens, if you're listening, and I know you are... <laughs> They probably are in, like, you know, some other time. Yeah, you're probably on a delay, like Pluto. Space aliens, if you're listening, um, please please don't throw a comet at us for that semen joke. (laughs) I know it was tactless. And cheap and fantastic. But it wasn't that bad. Continue on. What's going on in the streets of London? Out at sea by seamen watching for the day, a great white star comes suddenly into the westward sky. That is a damn UFO. Brighter it was than any star in our skies, brighter than the evening star at its brightest. It still glowed out white and large, no mere twinkling spot of light, but a small, round, clear, shining disk an hour after the day had come. And where science has not reached, men stared and feared, telling one another of the wars and pestilence that are foreshadowed by these fiery signs in the heavens. Sturdy boars, dusky hottentots, Gold Coast Negroes, Frenchmen, Spaniards, Portuguese. I know, I was just going to try to roll over it because it's 1897. Uh, It's 1897, I know. And he's just explaining where people are from. So with with apologies, I'm not going to reread that part, but he's just saying people from all over the world. It just caught my attention. I know, it it's it's politically incorrect now. It's, it's it was actually quite politically correct at the time. He was he was just including people by what they were called. Honestly, that 
like at the time was... that was more progressive than most people. Yeah. So, so you know, okay, it's eighteen ninety seven. It's eighteen ninety seven, and um, people of all creeds and colors were watching. Yeah. Is basically what he's saying. He was just trying to be more stood specific. in the warmth of the sunrise. He was probably getting paid by the word. Probably. Probably getting paid by the word. He was just trying to cram in. Instead of people from all over the world, he had to be more specific. Anyway, people from all over the world stood in the warmth of the sunrise watching the setting of this strange new star. And in a hundred observatories, there had been suppressed excitement, rising almost to shouting pitch as the two remote bodies had rushed together. And a hurrying to and fro to gather photographic apparatus and spectroscope and this appliance and that to record this novel astonishing sight. Can you imagine this now? The destruction of a world. Yeah. Like, fuck it. Everyone just pulls out their iPhone and there's like, like, these people are actually like grabbing like these massive like contraptions to capture this amazing event. Now it's just like. I'm going to put this on Snapchat. On my cell phone. TikTok, here I come. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't even think we realize, like, how... I mean, we probably... Well, no, because the way people act now are stupid. But, like... Yeah. I don't think people even realize that this was happening. Like, the the catastrophic aspect of this. The catastrophic aspect of it probably wouldn't hit until it's, like shaking until like the ground is shaking and we're going man why is it 170 degrees oh i'm dead yeah like instead everyone be like oh my god i gotta post this on my insta (laughs) like because you know and i'm not i'm not like innocent of it hashtag hashtag end of the world hashtag get me 10,000 likes before the end of the world hashtag hg wells predicted it all (laughs) Hashtag, how did he know? <laughs> Hashtag, H.G. Wells is the doctor. Cool. I called it. H.G. Wells Let's is the doctor. Out. No, trademark, trademark, trademark. If uh, you, um, uh, Chibnall, you're not allowed, if you take that idea, <laughs> if you turn the doctor into H.G. Wells. Or they even meet. Well, they they can, oh, they can I guess they, they can, can meet. I mean like statistically the odds of them not they, meeting are actually pretty, pretty slim. Yeah. But if you if you if you come up with a storyline where H.G. Wells becomes the doctor, I'm going to sue you. Or you can put us both in the episode. Or you can just cast me. And then you can have it. Yep, that's I'm on board with that. Let us know. 50/50 yards production. I'll have my people call your people. Mhm. That'll be me. <laughs> uh, the destruction of a world. For it was a world, a sister planet of our Earth, far greater than our Earth indeed, that had so suddenly flashed into flaming death. Neptune, it was, had been struck fairly and squarely by the strange planet from outer space, and the heat of the concussion had incontinently turned two solid globes into one vast mass of incandescence. Oh my god. Round the world that day, two hours before dawn, went the pallid great white star, fading only as it sank westward and the sun mounted above it. Everywhere men marveled at it, but of all those who saw it, 
none could have marveled more than those sailors, habitual watchers of the stars, who far away at sea had heard nothing of its advent and saw it now rise like a pygmy moon and climb zenithward and hang overhead and sink westward with the passing of the night. Zenithward? What a great fucking word, and what a beautiful... Dude, this is intense. This is gorgeous. It's very upsetting and also gorgeous. Like, I just pictured myself standing on the front of the, the ship that I worked on and, like, looking at the stars. And watching a fucking planet but explode like, from deck eight. Like, can you imagine, like, <laughs> me standing on the fucking helipad and I'm just, like, watching the stars and the shooty stars. It's so beautiful, and then all of a sudden it's like... Boom. And it's like, because oh, it's so dark out there. Like, you uh, can't see. Oh my god. Amazing. Yes, go. Continue. This is cool. And when next it I rose. Know what it is. And when next it rose over Europe, everywhere were crowds of watchers on hilly slopes, on house roofs, on open spaces, staring eastward for the rising of the great new star. It rose with a white glow in front of it, like a glare of a white fire. And those who had seen it come into existence the night before cried out at the sight of it. It is larger, they cried. It is brighter. And indeed, the moon, a quarter full and sinking in the west, was in its apparent size beyond comparison. But scarcely in all its breath had it as much brightness now as the little circle of the strange new star. It is brighter, cried the people clustering in the streets, but in the dim observatories the watchers held their breath and peered at one another. It is nearer, they said. Nearer. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming for us. <laughs> shit. And voice after voice repeated, it is nearer. <laughs> And the clicking telegraph, and that's where we are technologically. The clicking telegraph. The clicking telegraph. Smoke it's not signals. Even, it's not even a fax. Yeah. No, a not telegraph. Even close. It is technologically closer to smoke signals yeah. than it is to a phone call. Yeah. This predates phone calls. Oh, yeah. I mean, <sighs> almost pre it predates electricity. Because he was talking about the gas lights in the window. Does it predate electric yeah. light bulbs? Uh, at least, like, widespread electric light bulbs. Because he mentioned earlier that everyone's, like, the, the gas, gas light, candles. yeah. Uh, Edison's laboratory in Menlo Park, New Jersey, tested more than 3,000 designs for bulbs between 18, uh, 1878 and 1880. In November 1879, he filed a patent for an electric light Okay, so, so the light bulb had existed as a novelty. Yes. By 1925, only half of the homes in the United States had electric power. So, like, yeah. By, that's when electricity, like, happened, was 1882 with the light bulb. So, yeah, everyone's... So we're, we're still predating electric light bulbs yeah. in the average home by 30 years yeah. here. Amazing. Great. Amazing. Where was I? Um, Something about... Oh, it is like nearer, and the clicking telegraph took that up, and it trembled along telephone wires, and in th a thousand cities, grimy compositors fingered the type. It is nearer. 
men writing in offices struck with a strange realization flung down their pens. Men talking in a thousand places suddenly came upon the grotesque possibility in those words. It is nearer. Ah! It hurried along wakening streets. It was shouted down the frost-stilled ways of quiet villages. Men who had read these things from the throbbing tape stood in yellow-lit doorways, shouting the news to the passers-by. It is nearer. Pretty women, flushed and glittering, heard the news told jestingly between the dances and feigned an intelligent interest they did not feel. Nearer. Indeed, how curious, how very, very clever people must be to find out things like that. Okay. Okay. All so right. the story's a little sexist. It's a little sexist. Um, the women are all like, oh my god, like, that's so cute that they think it's scary. <laughs> Every woman in H.G. Wells' world is from the valley and is an Instagram influencer. Oh lord. And like... Cool to Instagram influencers. Like, I'm proud of you. You do you. But, like, I know when we get when we get to these stories, like, it's a different time. And there's going to be many moments where I'm like, uh, <laughs> for so many reasons. Like, earlier we had a, a yep. situation. And here, beautiful story. And at the time, it was just what people did. But, you know, these women aren't super smart. Now, he did say pretty women, so I guess the say, ugly women know what's up. The, uh, the ugly women are smart. Pretty pretty women are the dumb ones. <laughs> pretty women. Da-da-da-da. We sing Sondheim a lot. <laughs> pretty women. Welcome to Campfire Classics, a Sondheim appreciation podcast. I mean, it really is. Where cause... we read old stories and try to find ways to connect them to Stephen Sondheim. Oh, he's a genius. <laughs> if you're listening... Hi. And I know you are. Hi. I just want to say hi, and I love you. <laughs> That's all. Lonely tramps faring through the wintry night murmured those words to comfort themselves, looking skyward. It has need to be nearer, for the night's as cold as charity. Don't seem much warmth from it if it is nearer, all the same. The night is long and full of terrors. Oh, God! <laughs> That's like basically what they just said. For the night is long and full of terrors. That's and what they then just a woman in said. red stepped out onto the street and set, on you. set all the astronomers on fire. Oh my god, that's what it just sounded like. <laughs> what is a new star to me? cried a weeping woman kneeling beside her dead. The schoolboy, rising early for his examination work, puzzled it out for himself with the great white star shining broad and bright through the frost flowers of his window. Centrifugal, centripetal, he said with his chin on his fist, although I'm guessing he was British because it's H.G. Wells. So it was centrifugal, <laughs> centripetal, he said with his chin on his fist. Stop a planet in its flight. Rob it of its centrifugal force. What then? Centripetal has it, and down it falls into the sun. And this... Do we come in the way, I wonder? Oh, whoops. Oh, shit! That schoolboy just, like, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna skip class today and go do something fun. Because... <laughs> 
This might be the last day. <laughs> the light of that day went the way of its brethren, and with the later watches of the frosty darkness rose the strange star again. And it was now so bright that the waxing moon seemed but a pale yellow ghost of itself, hanging huge in the sunset. In a South African city, a great man had married, and in the streets were a light to welcome his return with his bride. Even the skies have illuminated, said the flatterer. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, you're not doing a South African dialect? Do we really want to have the conversation about accurate dialects? No, I don't How's... want it. I didn't say I want it to be accurate. <laughs> I just said I want you to attempt it. <laughs> South Africa. Uh, in my mind, the flatterer of the great man of South Africa is from Illinois. Okay, I guess that's your interpretation. Yep. That's fine. Shout out to my friends in South Africa. Under Capricorn, two lovers, daring the wild beasts and evil spirits for love of one another, crouched together in a cane break where the fireflies hovered. That is our star, they whispered, and felt strangely comforted by the sweet brilliance of its light. The master mathematician sat in his private home and pushed the papers from him. His calculations were already finished. In a small white file, there still remained a little of the drug that had kept him awake and active for four long nights. Whoa! Each, Whoa! Yeah, that's in a small white file, P-H-I-A-L. In, in a vial. Who, who's on these drugs? A, the master mathematician who sat in his private room and pushed the papers from him. You do know that, like, after, I mean, this was a long time ago, but there is a, like, fact out there that if you're awake, if you if you are actually physically awake for more than, I believe, 72 hours. You start you hallucinating? Are no, you are legally insane. So if you commit murder or, like, do something stupid, you can plead insanity because um, technically... You are, because the human body is not meant to be awake that long. A friend of mine, whose name I will not share here because, <laughs> I don't know, maybe legal reasons, yeah. um, was uh, a, 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 an army ranger. Okay. And oh, yeah, as they part keep of, them awake. And as part of army oh, yeah. ranger training, they keep them, like, they'll, they'll let them sleep for, like, an hour a night or yeah. whatever. Um, and my friend... Um, told this told me this story that um at one point partway through so they they'd like they'd let you sleep for like an hour and then wake you up and send you out to 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 do training yeah. and then they'd they'd um you know they'd make you dig ditches and then they'd send you out to the firing range mm -hmm. and they'd like do all of this stuff and at one point like whatever however long into this training super sleep deprived he's out on the firing range and on in the middle of the range, he sees a person. A leprechaun. Stand like like a, a person. Okay. Standing out in the middle of the range, facing away from him. Okay. And he's like firing, and he waves at the guy, like calls to the guy, and the guy turns around, and it's Skeletor. <laughs> and Skeletor puts his finger up to his lips in a shushing motion, and then turns back around. Oh hell no! <laughs> hell no! Or at least that is the story as I remember it being told. If I've gotten it wrong, 
you know who you are, feel free to message me and correct me on the details. But that's the that is the story as I remember you telling it. Sleep is important. Sleep is important. And synergetic drugs that keep you awake that long. Like take a nap in between. Yeah. Take a nap between doses, yo. Like, come on. I know the world's about to end and your mathematicianess is like, I gotta figure it out. But you being crazy is not making it better. That's all I'm saying. Ah, uh, so. Um, in a small white file, there still remained a little of the drug that had kept him awake and active for four long nights. Don't say no, man. Each day, <laughs> serene, explicit, patient as ever, he had given his lecture to his students and then had come back at once to this momentous calculation. His face was grave, a little drawn and hectic from his drugged activity. For some time, he seemed lost in thought. Then he went to the window, and the blind went up with a click. Halfway up the sky, over the clustering roofs, chimneys, and steeples of the city, hung the star. He looked at it as one might look into the eyes of a brave enemy. You may kill me, he said after a silence but I can hold you and all the universe, for that matter, in the grip of this little brain. I would not change even now. Well, shit. What a badass. That guy's a fucking awesome teacher. I want that teacher. He looked at the little file. There will be no need of sleep again, he said. The next day at noon, punctual to the minute, he entered his lecture theater, put his hat on the end of the table as his habit was, and carefully selected a large piece of chalk. It was a joke among his students that he could not lecture without a piece of chalk to fumble in his fingers. And once he had been stricken to He's impotence, out of his mind. <laughs> and once he had been stricken to impotence by their hiding his supply. Impotence. He's impotent and he's coked out of his mind. This guy's got but he's a badass. So. Well, but in fairness, if you're doing that many drugs, it does it probably have affects. it does have a, a, a an effect on, on the, oh. your um, <laughs> readiness <laughs> to perform. <laughs> the wicked <laughs> That's my sound. On the wicked anybody out here that is like actually an amazing beatboxer because I started that and he's much better than me and I went as a sex noise am am I better at that because those noises were were kind of ridiculous oh cool I'm glad you enjoyed you not enjoyed better but like you were better I enjoyed you enjoyed all right go back to the coked out impotent professor he came and I want looked to see under Eddie Murphy's version of that. Not the, the impotent professor. professor. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the nutty professor, which sounds like the opposite, I want the <clears throat> impotent coked out professor. Eddie Murphy, if, if you're, you're listening, listening. <laughs> and I know you are, call me. I got a movie idea for you. It's gonna be good. He came and looked under his gray eyebrows at the rising tears of young, fresh faces and spoke with his accustomed, studied commonness of phrasing. Circumstances have arisen. 
circumstances beyond my control, he said and paused, which will debar me from completing the course I had designed. It would seem, gentlemen, if I may put the thing clearly and briefly, that man has lived in vain. Shocking. <laughs> the students glanced at one another. Had they heard aright? Mad. Raised eyebrows and grinning lips there were, but one or two faces remained intent upon his calm, gray-fringed face. It will be interesting, he was saying, to devote this morning to an exposition, so far as I can make it clear to you, of the calculations that have led me to this conclusion. Let us assume, he turned toward the blackboard, meditating a diagram in the way that was usual to him. What was that about lived in vain? whispered one student to another. Listen, said the other, nodding toward the lecturer, and presently they began to understand. That night, the star rose later, for its proper eastward motion had carried it some way across Leo towards Virgo. That's me. <laughs> oh, good. The star is getting closer and closer to you. I mean, and the I'm... math professor is certain we're all going to die. <laughs> it's my constellation, I guess, but like. But I'm glad that the the Virgo is is getting some getting some action, getting some attention. The, the, yes, Libra has gotten no attention thus far. Just wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. That so it makes for terrible podcasting. But I did just give a little dance yeah, break. Yeah, he was dancing. Ah, that night the star rose later, for its proper eastward motion had carried it some way across Leo towards Virgo, and its brightness was so great that the sky became a luminous blue as it rose, and every star was hidden in its turn, save only Jupiter near the zenith, Capella, Aldebaran, Sirius, and the pointers of the bear." It was very white and beautiful. In many parts of the world that night, a pallid halo encircled it about. It was perceptibly larger. In the clear, refractive sky of the tropics, it seemed as if it were nearly a quarter the size of the moon. The frost was still on the ground in England, but the world was as brightly lit as if it were midsummer moonlight. One could see to read quite ordinary print by that cold, clear light. Mm. And in the cities, the lamps burnt yellow and wan? <laughs> wan? Wayne? Wayne? Wan? Yellow and wan? I'm looking it up. Wan, adjective, a person's complexion or appearance, pale and giving the impression of illness or exhaustion. Wan. Pale and weak. There you go. Juan. Fun fact of the... Yeah. I love I love our vocabulary lessons. Great. We look up a lot of words during this. It's great. So the cities... In the cities, the lamps burnt yellow and wan, or pale and sickly. 
and everywhere the world was awake that night, and throughout Christendom a somber murmur hung in the keen air over the countryside like the belling of bees in the heather. And this... It's me again! <laughs> You're getting a lot of shout-outs! Virgo, Heather, what's up? H.G. Wells likes you. Oh, cool. Fangirl. Never mind that he died some 80 years before you were born. No, when did he die? In the 40s. 40s. Some 40 years before you were born. Yeah. (laughs) Where was I? Something about Heather. Ah, yes. Uh, It was the tolling of the bells in a million belfry towers and steeples, summoning the people to sleep no more, to sin no more, but to gather in their churches and pray. And overhead, growing larger and brighter as the earth rolled on its way and the night passed, rose the dazzling star. And the streets and houses were alight in all the cities. The shipyards glared, and whatever roads led to high country were lit and crowded all night long. And in all the seas about the civilized lands, ships were throb- ships with throbbing engines and ships with bellying sails, crowded with men and living creatures, were standing out to ocean and the north. For already the warning of the master mathematician had been telegraphed all over the world and translated into a hundred tongues. The new planet and Neptune, locked in a fiery embrace, were whirling headlong ever faster and faster towards the sun. Already every second this blazing mass flew a hundred miles and every second its terrific velocity increased. As it flew now, indeed, it must pass a hundred million miles wide of the earth and scarcely affect it. But near its destined path, as yet only slightly perturbed, spun the mighty planet Jupiter, and his moons sweeping splendid round the sun. Every moment now the attraction between the fiery star and the greatest of the planets grew stronger. Like, and I the swiped res- right on Tinder. Like, he's like, there's some attraction happening. <laughs> It's fiery. This new star, this new planet, Jupiter, this flaming planet and Jupiter, Jupiter both swiped right. Oh, yeah. They're like, swipe. it's a swipe, swipe. Fuck. I mean, it's Tinder. <laughs> I've never been on Tinder. I've been on Tinder. Uh, they swiped where they liked, they matched, and they're like, mm-hmm. Yeah, fiery star. And Jupiter's mm. like, I'm mainly molten lava. Come get me. <laughs> I'm a big ball of gas. Ooh, I like fire. If we get together, we're going to explode all over the place. (laughs) Uh, Yep. I went there. Ejaculation. (laughs) Exclamation. Exclamatory? Exclamatory ejaculation. Yeah. Classic literature. Classic literature is nothing more than exclamatory ejaculation. Every moment now, the attraction between the fiery star and this greatest of the planets grew stronger. Mm -hmm. And the result of that attraction, inevitably Jupiter, would be deflected from its orbit into an elliptical path. And the burning star, swung by his attraction, 
wide of its sunward rush would describe a curved path and perhaps collide with and certainly pass very close to our Earth. Earthquakes, volcanic outbreaks, cyclones, sea waves, floods, and a steady rise of temperature to I know not what limit. So prophesied the master mathematician. Yeah, that's what we were just talking about. You're like, no one's going to notice until it starts shaking. Yep. It's like, oh. Earthquakes and flames. Yep. And overhead, to carry out his words, lonely and cold and livid, blazed the star of the coming doom. To many who stared at it that night until their eyes ached, it seemed that it was visibly approaching. And that night, too, the weather changed, and that and the frost that had gripped all Central Europe and France and England softened towards a thaw. Out here. But you must not imagine, because I have spoken of people praying through the night and people going aboard ships and people fleeing towards mountainous country, that the whole world was already in terror because of the star. As a matter of fact, use and want still ruled the world. And save for the talk of idle moments and the splendor of the night, nine human beings out of ten were still busy at their common occupations. Fuck That's it. what the... God. Ah. People never change. People suck, man. God damn it. Just fucking wear a mask or like, you know, like, pay attention. Just pay attention. Just be You've aware got... of the reality of the world that's not just you. It's not just about you, you fuckers. We have a metaphorical star hurtling towards humanity, and most people are just like, eh, oh, cool. Oh, yeah, I think I'll go to the beach today. Oh, Disneyland. Disney World, that sounds fun. Like, come on, people. Just start a podcast like us. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to stay inside. Stay inside with your microphone and just, like, make other people laugh. Make yourself laugh. Come on. God, people have not changed. That is insane to me. I love it. I mean, hey, I hate it, but... Hey, you. If you're listening. Hey, you. And I know you are. Stay inside. Or if you have and to if go you outside, have to go wear a outside, mask. Put a mask on. Or just keep your distance. Just, like, just, just dude. 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 Just be cool. Just be cool, man. That's our political Just for like for five thing. seconds, just be cool. Mm-hmm. Or the theoretical star, metaphorical star, actual fucking thing from the I sky mean, is going to drop on us. In, in fairness, if it's a literal star careening towards then Earth, we're all gonna die, then we're all going to die and there's nothing we can do about it. No. But our metaphorical star careening towards Earth, there is something we can do about yes. it. Yes. And we should. In all the cities, the shops, save one here and there, opened and closed at their proper hours. The doctor and the undertaker plied their trades. The workers gathered in the factories. Soldiers drilled. Scholars studied. Lovers sought one another. Thieves lurked and fled. Politicians planned their schemes. The presses of the newspapers roared through the night. And many a priest of this church and that would not open his holy building to further what he considered a foolish panic. The newspapers insisted on the lesson of the year 1000, for then, too, people had anticipated the end. The star was no star, mere gas, a comet. 
and were it a star, it could not possibly strike the earth. There was no precedent for such a thing. Common sense was sturdy everywhere, scornful, jesting, a little inclined to persecute the obdurate fearful. <laughs> that night, at 7.15 by Greenwich time, the star would be at its nearest to Jupiter. Then the world would see the turn things would take. The master mathematician's grim warnings were treated by many as so much mere elaborate self-advertisement. Yeah, don't listen to a fucking scientist. I, I, I know this is a comedy podcast, but can we just talk about this? Listen to the damn scientists. Why are people like, nah? It is so, um, uh, steering, steering away from the anger... And steering into the, um, holy shit, this is amazing. It's brilliant. It is incredible that, um, in 1897, he's writing a story about, about people who are ignoring the scientist who's saying, y'all, we're all gonna die. Yeah. Like. Not for nothing, I'm, I think I'm going to pick up the collected works of H.G. Wells and I just read I wish I knew that this was going to be so, like, poignant when I picked it out, but let's go. What happens? I want to uh, know what happens to the star. All right. Let's go. Let's move. Common sense, at last, a little heated by argument, signified its unalterable convictions by going to bed. So, too, barbarism and savagery, already tired of the novelty, went about their nightly business. And save for a howling dog here and there, the beast world left the star unheeded. And yet, when at last the watchers in the European states saw the star rise an hour later, it is true, but no larger than it had been the night before, there were still plenty awake to laugh at the master mathematician, to take the danger as if it had passed. But hereafter, the laughter ceased. Yeah, damn, boom, boom, that's what I'm talking, yep, here we go, this, here we go. I need... Oh Go. my god. Continue. But hereafter the laughter ceased. The star grew. It grew with a terrible steadiness hour after hour, a little larger each hour, a little nearer the midnight zenith, and brighter and brighter until it had turned night into a second day. Had it come straight to the earth instead of in a curved path? Had it lost no velocity to Jupiter? It must have leapt the intervening gulf in a day. But as it was, it took five Five days altogether to come by our planet. The next night it had come become a third the size of the moon before it set to English eyes, and the thaw was assured. It rose over America near the size of the moon, but blinding white to look at, and hot. And a breath of hot wind blew now with its rising and gathering strength. And in Virginia and Brazil and down the St. Lawrence Valley, it shone intermittently through the driving reek of thunderclouds, flickering violet lightning and hail unprecedented. In Manitoba was a thaw and devastating floods. And upon all the mountains of the earth, the snow and ice began to melt that night, and all the rivers coming out of high country flowed thick and turbid.
turbid, and soon in their upper reaches, reaches with swirling trees and the bodies of beasts and men, they rose steadily, steadily in the ghostly brilliance, and came trickling over their banks at last behind the flying population of their valleys. And along the coast of Argentina and up the South Atlantic, the tides were higher than had ever been in the memory of man. And the storms drove the waters, in many cases, scores of miles inland, drowning whole cities. Oh shit, man! And what? so great grew the heat during the night that the rising of the sun was like the coming of a shadow. The earthquakes began and grew until all down America from the Arctic Circle to Cape Horn, hillsides were sliding, fissures were opening, and houses and walls crumbling to destruction. The whole side of Cotopaxi slid out in one vast convulsion, and a tumult of lava poured out so high and broad and swift and liquid that in one day it reached the sea. So the floor is literally lava. So the floor is literally lava. Fuck, fuck. What? That, that escalated so, so, so fast. So the entire hemisphere is playing a literal game of the floor is lava. lava. So the star, with the wan moon in its wake, marched across the Pacific, trailed the thunderstorms like the hem of a robe, and the growing tidal wave that toiled behind it, frothing and eager, poured over island and island and swept them clear of men oh, no. until that wave came at last in a blinding light and with the breath of a furnace, swift and terrible it came. A wall of water, 50 feet high, roaring hungrily upon the long coasts of Asia and swept inland across the plains of China. My God, this is like the straight up day after tomorrow shit. Like, yes, it oh is. Oh my God. For a space, the star, hotter now and larger and brighter than the sun in its strength, showed with pitiless brilliance the wide and populous country. Towns and villages with their pagodas and trees, roads, wide cultivated fields, millions of sleepless people staring in helpless terror at the incandescent sky. And then low and growing came the murmur of the flood. And thus it was with millions of men that night, a flight now hither with limbs heavy, with heat and breath fierce and scant, and the flood like a wall, swift and white behind, and then death. Oh my god! This got real dark. China? They all just listen. I mean, I, don't, I guess the mathematician, like, what? There's nothing you can do. What can do. you do? But, like, at least they would have had a better last couple days instead <laughs> of just being like, ah, meh, meh, eh, eh, I'm gonna go sleep. Like,. Yeah, damn. Keep going. It's almost there, right? We're 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 getting we're getting there. Oh my god. We're, we're nearing the end here. Oh my god. China was lit, glowing white, but over Japan. China was lit. <laughs> <laughs> but over Japan and Java and all the islands of Eastern Asia, the great star was a ball of dull red fire because of the steam and smoke and ashes the volcanoes were spouting forth to salute its coming. Above was the lava, hot gases and ash, 
and below the seething floods, the whole earth swayed and rumbled with the earthquake shocks. Soon the immemorial snows of Tibet and the Himalaya were melting and pouring down by 10 million deepening converging channels <laughs> upon the plains of Burma and Hindustan. The tangled summits of the Indian jungles were aflame in a thousand places, and below the hurrying waters around the stems were dark objects that still struggled feebly and reflected the blood-red tongues of fire. And in a rudderless confusion, a multitude of men and women fled down the broad riverways to that one last hope of men, the open sea. Damn right! Oh, but then there's going to be like, there's going to be shit going down in that gonna ocean. There's going to be shit too. going down in the ocean too. Oh my God. There's going to be tsunamis and like, oh, this shit. Oh my God. Larger. so anxious right now. Larger grew the star and larger, hotter and brighter with a terrible swiftness now. The tropical ocean had lost its phosphorescence and the whirling steam rose in ghostly wreaths from the black weaves that plunged incessantly, speckled with storm-tossed ships. And then came a wonder. It seemed to those who in Europe watched for the rising of the star that the world must have ceased its rotation. In a thousand open spaces of down and upland, the people who had fled thither from the floods and the falling houses and sliding slopes of hills watched for that rising in vain. Hour followed hour through a terrible suspense, and the star rose not. Once again, men set their eyes upon the old constellations they had counted lost to them forever. In England, it was hot and clear overhead, though the ground quivered perpetually. But in the tropics, Sirius and Capella and Elberan showed through a veil of steam. And when at last the great star rose near ten hours late, the sun rose close upon it. And in the center of its white heart was a disk of black. Oh, shit! Over Asia... It was the star had begun to fall behind the movement of the sky. And then suddenly, as it hung over India, its light had been veiled. All the plain of India, from the mouth of the Indus to the mouths of the Ganges, was a shallow waste of shining water that night out of which rose temples and palaces, mounds and hills, black with people. Every minaret was a clustering mass of people who fell one by one into the turbid waters as heat and terror overcame them. The whole land seemed a wailing, and suddenly there swept a shadow across that furnace of despair, and a breath of cold wind, and a gathering of clouds out of the cooling air. Men, looking up, near blinded at the star, saw that a black disk was creeping across the light. It was the moon, coming between the star and the earth. And even as men cried to God at this respite, 
Out of the east, with a strange, inexplicable swiftness, sprang the sun. And that star, sun, and moon rushed together across the heavens. So it was that presently, to the European watchers, the star and sun rose close upon each other, drove headlong for a space, and then slower, and at last came to rest. Star and sun merged into one glare of flame at the zenith of the sky. The moon no longer eclipsed the star, but was lost to sight in the brilliance of the sky. And though those who were still alive regarded it for the most part with that dull stupidity that hunger, fatigue, heat, and despair engender, there were still men who could perceive the meaning of these signs. Star and earth had been at their nearest, had swung about one another, and the star had passed. Already it was receding, swifter and swifter, in the last stage of its headlong journey, downward into the sun. Wait, it's gone? It's leaving? It's, it, it passed. Oh, it went through. Oh my god. It passed. We're, we're on the downward slope now. Oh, fuck. We're on the other side. Oh, shit. I'm like, seriously, like, so anxious right now. I'm like, <laughs> this, this, this one This one has been tense. I'm stupefied. Okay. And then, and then, I think we're down to like four paragraphs. Okay, good. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pile through to the okay, end here. Okay. Okay. Y'all should listen to the math mathematician. And then the clouds gathered, blotting out the vision of the sky. The thunder and lightning wove a garment round the world. All over the earth was such a downpour of rain as men had never before seen. And where the volcanoes flared red against the cloud canopy, there descended torrents of mud. Everywhere the waters were pouring off the land, leaving mud-silted ruins, and the earth littered like a storm-worn beach with all that had floated, and the dead bodies of the men and brutes, its children." For days, the water streamed off the land, sweeping away soil and trees and houses in the way, and piling huge dikes and scooping out titanic gullies over the countryside. Those were the days of darkness that followed the star and the heat. That's why you don't name a boat Titanic, man. Like, he <laughs> predicted that shit, too. He's like, Titanic after this Titanic things are bad. The, after like half the world just got taken down. <laughs> Titanic. And for many weeks and months, the earthquakes continued. But the star had passed, and men, hunger-driven and gathering courage only slowly, might creep back to their ruined cities, buried granaries, and sodden fields. Such few ships as had escaped the storms of that time came stunned and shattered and sounding their way cautiously through the new marks and shoals of once familiar ports. And as the storms subsided, men perceived that everywhere the days were hotter than of yore, and the sun larger, and the moon shrunk to a third of its former size, took now fourscore days 
between it's new and new. Four score and seven years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But of the new brotherhood that grew presently among men, of the saving of laws and books and machines, of the strange change that had come over Iceland and Greenland and the shores of Baffin's Bay, so that the sailors coming there presently found them green and gracious and could scarce believe their eyes. This story does not tell. Nor of the movement of mankind, now that the earth was hotter, northward and southward toward the poles of the earth. It concerns itself only with the coming and passing of the star. The Martian astronomers, for there are astronomers on Mars, although they are very different beings from men, were naturally (laughs) profoundly interested by these things. They saw them from their own standpoint, of course. Considering the mass and temperature of the missile that was flung through our solar system into the sun, one wrote, it is astonishing what a little damage the earth, which it missed so narrowly, has sustained. All the familiar continental markings and the masses of the seas remain intact, and indeed the only difference seems to be a shrinkage of the white discoloration supposed to be frozen water round either pole, which only shows how small the vastness of human catastrophes may seem at a distance of a few million miles. Oh, my freaking god, that was so Holy good. Holy shit. Also, he predicted fucking global warming. Woo. I cannot right now at this. I have been like in a ball on the couch. Like you kept having to look at me because I was like rubbing my pants because like I was having anxiety over here. Oh my god. Holy shit, that was so good. That was insanely good. Y'all, so the star will look good on your shelf, but also read it to people. Share it with people. Oh my god, that share this with people. I mean, I mean, or just share it if you don't want all the interruptions, but like, what? 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 <laughs> I wish I'd known what I was giving you, because then I'd awesome. be like, mm-hmm, that's what I'm talking about. No, I had no idea. That I was just awesome. like, that was awesome. Holy crap. Woo! That was tense. That was so um, good. I uh, I wish we were funnier during it, but like... Yeah. I wish I had anything clever to say right now, but I, I really genuinely don't. Do you have anything to... I mean, father of fucking science fiction indeed. Well deserved. And I can't believe you didn't win those Pulitzers. <laughs> Fuck that. I think they were Nobels. Nobels. You should have won those too. You should have won them both. I don't even know the Pulitzer existed then. He probably didn't win the Nobel Prizes he was nominated for because the um, the people who were in charge of deciding who wins read his stories and went, yeah, but I don't know that they'll ever really be relevant. Exactly. <laughs> they were the nine out of ten that were like, nah. Anyway, that's all, right. all we got for you tonight. Uh, no, I'm seriously like... I'm I'm a little bit wrecked after that. I'm pretty like I'm like whoop 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 whoop. I need a comedy. Let's... Yeah. Uh... <laughs>
Okay. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you weren't listening to that as you were going to bed. And if you were, I'm so sorry. I'm going to go watch like six episodes of Parks and Rec now. Hell yeah. Because I need something Leslie to relax nope. my brain. Leslie Nope will fix everything. All right. Um, Thank you for listening. This has been fun. Is Campfire Classics? This has been Campfire no, it's Classics. Been super great, but. Campfire this is, Classics. This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read all those books that look really good on your shelf. We did it, though. Yeah. Boom. Well done. We'll see you next time. Yeah.